Welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. Now, this episode we're going to do anonymously, but it's been over seven years, so we think we can get away with it. But in saying that, this episode might not exactly be sponsorship friendly, so we might leave this episode sponsorship free. We have put a donation button on the website in the corner, so if anyone did love what we are doing, you could go on and donate to a marketing campaign, uh, and this is going to help get these episodes out to inspire frothers to go on an adventure. I think it's just amazing. I think it's just amazing this podcast or just this whole idea in general of just telling people stories and just um, just watching this domino effect and just see people reacting to it and, and getting inspired by it. It's just absolutely mind blowing, and I'm just so stoked that I can that I can be a part of this and just like. It's just so much fun. So just thanks everyone so much. I can't thank you guys, the listeners, enough. Okay, now let's get into it. Todd, who you're about to meet, is 70 years old and is still a big kid at heart. I met Todd in the middle of the South Pacific on their jointly owned catamaran. Their crew, all in their late 60s. The captain, Fun Hog Steve, how's that for a name? Fun Hog Steve, the captain, his wife Jill, and then Todd. They were sailing their way from Fiji to New Zealand and acting like teenage kids the whole way. We caught up with these guys in a safe haven atoll called South Minerva Reef, where we were the only two boats in there waiting for a weather window to sail to New Zealand. We couldn't believe what we were seeing with the energy that this crew had. Todd turning 70 that week and still out there in nature all day diving, spearfishing, stand-up paddleboarding. And when they were done with that, we even saw them towing each other around in a shark-infested lagoon with their tender with this foil surfboard. We got talking with these guys and quickly learned in their 60 plus years, they have been hardcore adventurers all around the world and told us stories with such energy and life and inspired our whole crew to to go to so many more new places and try so many more new things. These guys were from the 60s and were pioneers in mountain biking, kayaking, downhill skateboarding, backcountry skiing and growing shitloads of mushrooms and marijuana. Todd himself has so many interesting stories, and he is such a great storyteller. I not only find it so interesting how he has managed to keep his youthful spirit, but also how he is able to evade the system and live a life for himself. How Todd earned his money was definitely not legal, but Todd comes from the nostal... I can never do this word. Nostalgic? Nostalgic? Nostalgic. Nostalgic 60s experimental movement. He was what you would call a hippie, but he was also an entrepreneurial hippie. I hope Todd's story inspires you just like it did me to live an adventurous, happy, fulfilled life. Enjoy. Yes, story time of the Toddcast. <laughs> Toddy. Yeah. Yeah, we've been doing story time the last few days and it's absolutely been amazing. Yeah. And I'm sitting here just buzzing, just waiting for the next one. It's been fun for sure. It's Out here in the middle of nowhere. Out here in the middle of Minerva Reef. Minerva Reef. What I'll do too with this recording, I'll do a little introduction myself yeah, before, before before I actually put it out to introduce you yeah. properly. But um, okay. you're kind of like on fire right now in, in, in telling stories, so I just want you to kind of keep going. <laughs> We've got a whole room here listening. What's up? Well, okay. Here, the, One thing that happened fairly recently that was pretty funny, <laughs> like last winter... 
um, my knee had been bothering me a little bit, you know, so I went to, uh, went to the doctor and, and the first thing they do is take an x-ray, you know, um, and look at your bone structure and stuff before they'll do an MRI or anything like that. Okay. So I go and I have this x-ray and I go back into the doctor's office and I'm, and we're sitting there looking at the x-ray and, you know, he goes, oh yeah, your bones look good, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's lots of space left in between everything. He goes, it's probably just a torn meniscus a little bit. And I'm reading the x-ray and it, you know, gives all this technical stuff. Then then one line, it, it goes unidentified metallic object right thigh and i'm and i'm like i go what i go wait 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 let's look at that again and i look at the x-ray and here's this little bb that's just in my right thigh you know it's about the size of a bb a little bit smaller and go shit and so what had happened it's like when i'm when i was 15 years old i'm out hunting quail with my dad okay and we're going up this gully and we're about 40 yards apart. He, I'm on one ridge, and there's a gully, and he's on this other ridge. My ridge is clear of brush. There's just like a couple green pine trees, and there's a big granite boulder in front of them. Okay. So, so how many years ago would this be? Oh, shit, 50 years ago. <laughs> and uh, and so, so I kind of get, you know, and, and his ridge <clears throat> has all kinds of chaparral on it bushes and stuff so he's going a lot slower so i kind of get in in front of him and you don't really want to get in front of your hunting partner you know i mean you kind of want to stay across side by side so that you can shoot anything out front without shooting each other so anyway i come to this to these trees in this rock and i stand up on top of the rock and and the trouble was i had on like a green army coat okay and i so i blended in with the trees behind me so i'm just standing on this rock and I watch my dad, and he's working. He goes from one side of the ridge, and he disappears. Then he come back up, and he's working through all this brush and everything. And, and I had been staring straight at him for five minutes. I'm looking straight at him, okay, just watching him. All of a sudden, this quail flushes out, goes up, you know, and makes a big U-turn, and then dives down the gully. And I just watch my dad. He goes, he brings his shotgun up and goes swings around and then bam and just blows me straight back off of this rock what just shoot <laughs> like, you just shot me bigger than shit man what well, did he did he get the quail on the way i don't know i can't remember if he got the quail or not <laughs> all i all i it's really funny you can um it's you see the shock wave like have you ever seen explosives or anything it's like okay, if you take like the rug on the floor and give it a shake, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah, this yeah. wave goes out. Well, that's what happens to the whole atmosphere when there's an explosion or something like that. And you, it registers. You can see it plain as day. It comes so quick that you can't do anything about it. You know, you can't dodge or anything. It just, but you can see it bigger than shit. So anyway, I, this big shock wave comes and it pushed me straight back about three feet, and I fell down behind this rock and I went. Jesus, I think I just got shot. <laughs> and, and I looked down at my thumb, and, and one of the BBs, seven and a half bird shot, one of the BBs had like gone into my thumb and furrowed about an inch under the skin. And, uh, and, I, and I went, I looked at it, and I went, well, yeah, I got shot for sure. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and I go, I'm hit. And, and my dad comes running over. And luckily, it was like in November, 
and it was pretty cold. So I had on Levi's and long underwear, and uh, and it, but but like between my stomach and my knees, I had thirty three. I picked out thirty three pellets. You're kidding? You know, me. from the shotgun, you know, and there and there was and they had gone in just enough so that I, it was kind of like popping a pimple, like it like. And pop him out, okay? Well, was, you, was your dad worried that he, he yeah, might kill well, you at the No, I mean, my guts weren't hanging out or anything, you know? It was, yeah. yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't. It was once I once he got over there and, I, you know, we, we both knew I was okay and stuff. Was it pain? It would have been painful. You know, you got a, quite a bit of adrenaline going on, so it wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, so I... so I pop all these out and everything and, you know, basically recovered. No big deal. But um, then, fifty years later, I get this X-ray, and it's and why I, I thought there was. I always thought there was thirty-three pellets. Well, there was thirty-four. I still got one in me. So. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the coolest thing about it was I was staring straight at him. You know, I had been watching him for five minutes. I was staring straight at him, and all of a sudden, he just swung around and. Bam! And just, <laughs> just shoot just you. shot me just right off you. this rock, man. I um, I shot my mate once. Really? Yeah, I was about fifteen years old, and he's. He, I was at my mate's house, at my friend's house down the road, and his dad had just bought this brand new air rifle, like the the one you kind of cock back. Yeah, and it gets the pressure. Yeah. And I'd been the week before out in the valley at my friend's house, and they all had air rifles, but they were all really old ones, and I didn't really understand that after a while they lose their pressure. Pressure. Uh. So we're cutting cotton wool tips and putting them. <laughs> in them like getting the cotton wool tip buds like that you clean your oh ears yeah with, oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah q-tips we're, yeah yeah q-tips yeah. so we're cutting him in half and putting it in and running around the bush and shooting, and each, shooting other. each other and it will kind of pierce your skin and 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 kind of hurt but like wouldn't but, really go in so anyway my mate's got this brand new fucking shotgun we're looking at it and i go oi let me shoot you with it he's like fuck off i'm like hey come on please let, let, let me shoot you with it he's like you know shoot me with it i was like nah don't be a pussy man like you know i start like 15 year old kids start peer pressuring him like let me shoot you and i go inside and i get this cotton wool tip and i cut it in half and i go out and i cock the gun back and i put it in and i and i load it up and i aim the gun at him and he goes and he puts his fist up at me he goes <laughs> Don't fucking shoot me, you know. Sorry about the swear words, but don't shoot me. And I'm like, stop being a pussy, man. We yeah, do it all the time out in the valley. I'll just shoot you in the leg. Just let me shoot you in the leg. He's standing about like six meters from me, and he goes, "All right, but if this hurts, I get to punch you in the head." All right, so he's got his fist up. I go, "It won't hurt you, pussy." And then I've shot. He's wearing jean shorts, like Levi shorts, yeah. but like shorts. Version. And I've shot him. It's gone straight through the frigate, through the jean shorts into his thigh. Whoa. He drops to the ground, <laughs> screaming. Ah, all this blood starts coming down his leg. He's like, ah, my leg, my leg, my leg. He's in too much pain to punch me. I'm about to run over. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, all this blood's coming out. I've got to pull it out. Out, really? When well, I'm 33 uh, years now, he was a year older than me, so he's 34. And every time I see him, see him he's, he's still he's got the scar on his leg. He's like, remember when you shot me, Yeah. Yeah, is he, did he ever punch? No, yeah, I haven't got the punch yet. I'm waiting for it, man. This poor kid, Mark, Mark down the street. I, oh man, his dad, his dad had it in for me because his dad, you know, just he would be having like Friday or Saturday night drink or afternoon, you know, worked all week, and then like me and his son would go out and just get in so much trouble. Like I remember one time I had a 
can of coke in my hand and it was like a Saturday night and his dad was at a party and I'm just like running it at, at Mark yeah. and I run to like tackle him but he ducks and I had this can in my hand and as he's ducked yeah. and I'm tackling him I've got him straight in the eye and split his whole eyebrow open <laughs> you know so then we've had to call Trip his to the hospital yeah call his dad his dad's come down he's pissing out in blood got to take him to get stitched and he's like oh and I was always like <laughs> Yeah. yeah, don't hang out with that kid, man. Yeah. You're, you're costing me too much money. <laughs> yeah. I'll say Todd, Todd. Oh, man. Yeah. Am I allowed to ask you about any of your um, heyday stories back in the um, early 70s? Oh, yeah, anytime. Anything. I, you know. I reckon the most interesting... I think is- the statute of limitations is, 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 has expired. So, you know. Well, I reckon I, I reckon the, be- the best story that I've heard from you all week is how... You made money in the seventies, right? Oh yeah, and that was a good time. Seventies and eighties. I was wondering if I could get you to elaborate on it, because oh. it seemed like you're a bit of a trickster back in the day. Well, you know, if you're doing something illegal, you can't really be upfront with everybody, and you have to. There's a lot of subterfuge. You have to, you have to have alternate explanations for a lot of stuff that you do. You have to. The hardest thing was, you know, people would ask me, well, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I work construction or I chop firewood or something. And uh, it's like well, walking around with axes in the back of your no. truck. <laughs> no, like- that, what was funny is this, this little town that I lived in, Garberville, up in Humboldt County. Like if you if you stopped 10 guys on the street, nine of them. And ask them what they did. Nine of them would say, "Oh, I chopped firewood," or you know. And you couldn't buy firewood for love nor money in that town, man. But everybody told you that's what they did. You know. So, so, so what, what was the nine out of ten guys doing? Growing pot. Everybody, everybody. That's all there was to do there was grow pot. You grow know? pot. So yeah. And it was, it was good. It was a good time for me because most of the growers were lazy hippies. You know, um, and and I was a hippie. I just wasn't so lazy, and so it was really funny. The um, the first year that we, I I grew, I I helped some people grow and put in gardens um, for a couple years, and then I finally made enough money uh, running weed to L.A. and back. Um, what dr- just driving it down, like filling the car? Yeah, yeah. Well, down, yeah. You did, you know, it. you buy pounds. I had connections. I knew everybody in the county, and so uh, I would buy pounds up there for like eight hundred or a thousand or twelve hundred bucks, and then I'd run them to L.A. and and sell them for sixteen or two grand or something like that, and make some money. And so finally, I saved up enough money to buy my own land. And uh, so we, I bought this 80 acres, and we got it pretty late in the year, but we had some starts going and everything. And, and the first year, we harvested 35 pounds, which was about two grand a pound. So that's like 70K. And back in, this is 1979. And so 70K in 79 was enough to get me through the winter in Park. You know, I went, I had a house in Park City and went back and in skied. In Utah, like this. Yeah, yeah, in Utah, the ski area. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, got us through the next summer. Well, well yeah. I, I had just, that that first summer, I just kind of mimicked my friends, you know, the way they did it with growing these little gardens here and there and things like that. But over the course of the summer and that whole winter, I had a lot of time to think about it myself, you know, about, okay, well, look, this is how I, how I would like to do it. And so we came back that spring and, and I developed this whole other method of growing that, was different than anybody else you know 
and uh, which it, it was like back then people would basically grow these little twenty plant, thirty plant gardens and keep it small. You know, thinking that if it's small, they couldn't see it because they used to fly planes around. You know, yeah, and uh, the cops did, and so. But I went, well, shit, that's, eh, I, I don't know. What we did is we we encompassed this whole big area. I, I put up like a 1,300-foot fence because the fence is, you can see a fence pretty easily from the air. Any any straight lines or anything, anything that doesn't look natural, um, you can see pretty easily from the air. So we put this fence all under the tree line uh, of this big meadow, and there was a part that was exposed and so we cut down standing dead trees and and buried them like in this irregular line uh for the fence for the part of the fence that was exposed you know and then camoed the rest of the fence with with paint and everything painted it brown and green and everything so you couldn't see it and then we had so we had this big meadow stump meadow Enclosed, and there were bushes in it that were, you know, anywhere from four to six feet tall, like that, scattered here and there. And so, I instead of growing a little garden, I went in and just dug holes next to these bushes and would grow the plant next and kind of pull it back into the bushes and stuff. So it really blended in. And consequently, they, you know, they were in the full sun, and we took real good care of them and everything. And so the first year we harvested 35 pounds. The second year, we harvested 165 pounds. Holy and, shit. Yeah. And, so, and, you know, and, and that was, oh, shit, we were getting 2K a pound or so. And so it was like 385 the grand or something. And this is in I the got. 70s. Yeah, this is right, 1979, yeah. No. And, uh, and, which, and That's I, a lot of money. I, I looked it up the other day, an equivalent, and this was five years ago that I looked it up. It was a million dollars in, in, in that, in, you know, today's, today's money. money. Yeah, it'd probably be like, you know, over a million easily now. Holy and stuff. And it was really funny. I, you know, we harvested all this, and I'm like, we're rich forever. We'll never have to worry about money again. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> in a couple years, most of it was gone, you know, but, but still, it was, it was, what you spend it on? Just, just uh, having I bought a good more time. land. And about another 400 acres and you well, know grew more pot i've got so. so many questions what, what so the fence is that just to keep critters out so, yeah yeah deer deer you had the to deer. Keep, yeah the deer would eat because in northern california it's it's wet and green in the winter but then the summer it doesn't rain at all and things dry out so as soon as all the natural vegetation dries out and then the deer see these big lush green plants and they'll get a taste for it and they'll decimate your crop overnight so, what basically. would you do with all the cash like Spend if you're getting it. so much cash like like and you can't really put it in the bank because yeah no you can't put it in the bank so you got kind of got to I, buy assets well yeah assets assets back then were land yeah and and yeah you have to understand too that the whole economy of humboldt county was cash yeah you know everybody and so consequently all the nobody blinked about giving cash i mean i had friends that went into the land office and gave him 80k cash to buy some land as a down payment and stuff yeah um so you know and what i found out over the years is if you got the dough um very seldomly will people turn it down you know even if it's cash or whatever you know i mean i remember i went in and bought my girlfriend a new subaru in salt lake um in 81 or something and i think it was uh, like thirteen thousand something 
and I just paid cash. And they and they looked at you know every the, everybody was kind of twittering like and there's craning their their heads over to look at this big pile of cash and everything but nobody said you couldn't do it you know yeah. they were more than willing to take your money so so, uh, so how would you actually offload so you're you make 160 pounds grow 160 pounds of weed yeah then how do you offload it like how what do you well, in, the, in 1970 uh, 1981 you know, it wasn't the easiest thing there was a couple um a couple alternatives one there were wholesalers that would come up from Los Angeles and stuff, and they'd buy big chunks of it, you know, 50, 100 pounds at a time. Would you take them to your property? Well, see, that was kind of, you know, yeah. that's kind of the hard part. You don't really want people coming out there and stuff. And uh, so I just, it, it was more fun. I had a network of friends. I, you know, I lived in a ski area and skied. All my buddies were skiers, you know, so I knew... I knew somebody in every ski resort in the Western United States, and so I would just ask them, "Go, hey, you know, who's the who's the local pot dealer?" And I'd find him and and front him. You g- generally, you had to front him the 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 weed, and then, but because the high quality that we grew, it was so hard to come by. People didn't really want to cross you because then they were cut off from this really valuable yeah. you know asset you had that, the good that, stuff yeah i had we had the the best man for sure i mean yeah, the dynamics back then were quite a bit different i mean california pretty much consumed all the pot all the weed that it, that we grew you know so you didn't have so consequently very rarely did it travel out of state um, and they knew that they knew how good it was, but but you know they're used to buying ten dollar Mexican lids and uh, and they just didn't want to pay the money for it until they started smoking it and then they realized the value and you know it's just like mm. if you were drinking Nescafe your whole life and somebody said well here's eight dollar a pound coffee you'd go fuck why would I spend eight dollars a pound on coffee until you tasted it. And then you're like, yeah, that's kind of worth it, you know. Yeah. So it's the same thing with the weed, and 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 at one point in my life, um, that I actually used that to great advantage because uh, generally um, people at, at these other ski resorts and stuff they weren't really willing to spend the money because you know. Good weed is pretty expensive. It was really expensive back then. It was well over four thousand dollars a pound and stuff. And so, um, but I had the connections for it in Northern California, and I knew all the dealers in all these towns. And so I would go around. I started uh, just going. I'd I'd go and I'd buy. A friend of mine grew indoors, and I'd buy his whole crop, and like sixty pounds or something. And then I would go around and front it to my friends at these ski resorts. And at first, they were very hesitant. You know, um, they were like, eh, well, I'll take some. And I got a couple people that might be interested. But generally, you know, we're into our Mexi, our sexy Mexi, they called it, you know, yeah. um, that was quite a bit cheaper and everything. Well, and it, 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 it took about six months, eight months, and pretty soon nobody wants to buy the Mexican anymore. They all want the good Humboldt bud. Yeah, know? the California so, bud. Yeah, and so I was in the, the catbird seat then, I mean, because I had the, 
I had the sources for it in Northern California. I had the vehicle, the smuggling vehicle, you know, the, that RV. What, that wait, wait, tell us in. about that. Tell us oh, about Oh, man, that, that thing should be in a museum for sure. Because okay. I, I had this, it was a Chinook. It was, a, uh, it was only like a 20-foot-long little RV, Class B, and I totally gutted the whole inside of it, took everything out down to the fiberglass walls, and then built it all up. You know, because I had a big wood shop. I'm a woodworker. I had a big wood shop right there and built it all up with, you know, the, just as a traveling vehicle. It had a shower and, and, a, and, a, and a, like a single bed along one wall with all this storage underneath it and then a desk on the other side and, and a stove and everything. But I built everything. All the walls were hollow. And I, you know, out of like one by threes and, and I had all the trim work, like you would, you know, I had a little magnet and you'd pull the finished nails out and take this trim work off and then unscrew these screws. And then the whole, this one by six would like peel down and on, on the wall. And then it's all exposed with these slots that, and I had packaging, I had packages that were just a certain size and I had a little uh, mold kind of, and I'd put the package in there and then stuff it full of buds, and so it just fit perfectly. And what, would you would you vacuum seal it? For yeah, the smell? vacuum, like, vacuum it seal smell? it. Yep, exactly. I had a really nice vacuum sealer, that, and you couldn't smell anything. And I had, I'd have I, regularly, I have sixty or seventy pounds in it, and you couldn't smell it at all. I mean, I, I invited people in, potheads, you know, friends of mine, in there, and we sat, we'd sit there for like a half an hour, forty five minutes talking, and then I. I ask him, I go, I go, can you smell anything? And I go, no, I don't smell anything. You know, so I felt very secure in that. Yeah. Did in you ever get way. pulled over? And so you would get this yeah. RV and that's how you deliver yeah. your pounds of. Yeah. And I, and you have to understand that the, like when you're running, when you're smuggling stuff like that, it, the liability isn't so much that the cops are going to pull you over and search you. Cause they, they, if you gave them reason, they would do that. But I would never give them. I would never smoke pot in the car, and I always had my bicycle right next to me, and you know, so I had an excuse. Yeah, I'm going to Moy. I'm going to ride my bike. Blah blah blah, uh, and my kayak on top and everything. And the liability is you've got seventy pounds of weed, and that's fairly bulky. You know, that's quite a bit of mass there. And let's say somebody rear ends you, uh, or otherwise your rig is disabled. What you're standing on the side of the road with seventy pounds of weed, you know, it's, it yeah. doesn't look so good, and uh, and so the whole strategy behind that RV was that I could, I if it broke down, if I got in a fender bender or something, I could walk away from it and nobody would, nobody would find the find the weed, you know, so, and it worked perfectly. It just it, and and plus the whole thing, you're driving. And if you just have it in a bag in the back of your car, you're kind of nervous because, it, you know, it's just in – and that happened. I tried several different methods. One was just a Volvo station wagon. I got pulled over once at the Utah border, and this highway patrolman walks up, and I've just got – you know, I've got like 20 pounds just in this big bag. And the guy's staring right at it, man, just staring at the bag. <laughs> and, and and it was funny, you know. He gets my ID and everything, and he goes back to his car, and I'm sitting there. I go, okay, this is this is when the metal, you know, when the rubber meets the rope, meets the road. 
This is you're a pro, okay? This is show show that you're a pro at this and just keep it together and you know don't get nervous and everything yeah. and and I you know I I held it together, but it wasn't a good experience for sure. No, at all. So that's why that's why having this RV where everything was hidden so well, um, it, it it just really added to the safety factor because psychologically you're just a lot more comfortable wait did you that. like when you would sell to deals or at your friends or anything did anyone know that the rv oh yeah was hot oh yeah they had to i mean that's all all i ever came in <laughs> but so, you know so then wouldn't the word weren't you worried that the word would slowly get out about this yeah. rv did, it, did you ever feel hot did you ever get no, hot? no not really uh-uh. i mean because generally well one thing is, okay, so you're a, you're a pot dealer in Telluride. You really don't want to other people to know who your connection is, because because they'll try to shoulder hop you, and you know, and you you the dealers protect their sources, uh, especially yeah. somebody that has the good weed, and you know, and you pretty much have an exclusive with them. They didn't talk about me or, you know, I'd, I'd take them out to dinner and everything, but they wouldn't introduce me as, oh, here's my connection from California. You know, <laughs> that's not how it works, you know. So every, everything was kind of on the down low. And, and yeah, I never felt, uh, I mean, one time, what was it? One time I had the rig loaded up and I wanted to change the tires or, Something and I just took it to the place, totally loaded, totally loaded with 60, 70 pounds of weed in it, and left it for like three days. And I wasn't even worried about it because it was just so, so, well, so well done. Yeah. So, so you'd grow through the summers. Yeah. And then in the winter, you'd drive, I'd drive and deliver the, it, what, Northern California, I, I, out to Utah? Out to Utah, yeah, across Nevada and uh, to Utah, to Park City, to this, you know, ski, res- ski resort. And back then, it was a very small. Um, resort, you know, it wasn't like it is today. Today, it's a, a full-on city and everything. Back then, I mean, when I first moved there in '71, I think it was so small that there was probably 40 or 50 houses in town that were just abandoned houses because the miners had just moved out. They couldn't, you know, the mine shut down and nobody could make a living anymore. And so I just, I cruised around for about a week and looked at all these abandoned houses. I finally picked one out and kicked in the door and I lived there for three years with... You're kidding me. No, I, you know, no electricity, no heat, no gas, no water or anything. Like I hauled water in five gallon jugs. We hauled, you know, propane up for a little propane stove and I, and I had a, a wood uh, pot belly stove that, you know, that I would haul firewood in so do you know do you even know who owned it well finally i find out i found out who owned it and i wound up buying it after i started making money growing weed then i i wound up buying them but did, did someone just come it. around and be like um you're in my house? house no nobody ever came by it was just a guy that lived in salt lake a newspaper reporter in salt lake and uh yeah it was pretty pretty funny it was awesome for me i mean i was living rent free i shoveled the stairs, I lived on a boardwalk. There wasn't even a street in front of me. Park City had all these uh, wooden stairs and boardwalks and stuff. And I knew the guy that had the contract to shovel them all for the city. And he hired me for three bucks an hour. And so after skiing, I would go and just shovel the stairs and get up and go skiing and, you know, shovel the stairs whenever I needed. And 
it was just a real low low key lifestyle. I skied every day, so, so it was awesome. Did you did you ever get caught? Growing, growing. Oh yeah, we got we got well, not so much caught as what ha- What used to happen was that the cops would actually like plan these raids, and they'd come out and they'd try to catch people, and then they figured out that they were wasting all their time in court. They're wasting all their money, you know, going pursuing these court cases. And they and they kind of figure out like, hey, if we don't if we don't catch the people, if we just go in and pull the plants with our helicopters and everything, then they got all this good publicity. You know, they could say, oh, we got fifty thousand plants this summer, blah blah blah, and they, and they could spend all their money like riding around in helicopters and playing cowboys and Indians in the woods and shit instead of sitting in court. You yeah. know, and so after a while, they just it. You you know I mean there was a, a couple times one time specifically I just got back from a from like Crested Butte uh, Fat Tire Week you know mountain bike week in in the in the fall I got back and I think it was the very next morning and luckily I had my clothes on and uh, <laughs> and and all of a sudden we hear that you hear this in some fucking helicopters and my the girlfriend and I are like out the back door and running through the woods and the, you know the helicopters landing in the front yard and everything and holy it was, shit it was funnier than shit yeah one, yeah one time one time I was out on the, we had cuz we had 400 acres and that's where we grew most of it uh, and I had pe- we lived closer to town. We lived about 15 minutes out of town, and then this 400 was another 45 minutes past that. And so I had a couple workers that stayed out there the whole time and everything. And uh, and one time I go out there to visit them, and and sure as shit, it, it, luckily it wasn't one of them. It was just this kind of it was a garden that was close to some neighbors and the neighbors were had blown it they had gone too big and they were you know they were getting raided and so um so i'm i'm i go oh shit maybe i can salvage something from this garden that's close to them so i go running i go running through the woods and i you know the helicopters following me or you know he's getting closer and closer and we both got to the garden at the same time and and the helicopter's hovering there, and this guy is leaning out the door, and they're strapped in, you know, he, it, like he's got a big belt, and he's kind of leaning at a 45-degree angle, leaning out the door, and he's got a full-on AK or a, you know, AR-15 machine gun and everything, and he's all in with his flak jacket and camo and everything, and, and we both get to the garden at the same time, and I look up at him, and he looks down at me, and it was in, and it was like... Okay, I could have grabbed a few plants, but it was like, oh, you know, you got it this time. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to push it. And so and I look up at him, and I kind of smile, and then he smiles, and I just kind of nod and fade back into the woods, you know? <laughs> and it was like, okay, you got this one, man. <laughs> it was close, but it's yours. And so, so, yeah, it was, just, it was just so much fun back then, you know, just kind of cowboys and Indians. And, and the good thing was, like I was saying earlier, most of the peop- most of the growers were pretty lazy. So if you had any kind of brains and were willing to work, it was pretty easy to pull it off. Yeah. And so I I did really well for for quite a while. So did, um, did you just live like a 
like party lifestyle? Like, what did, uh, did, did you live like a businessman working like a business, or did you live no, like just having a good I, time? I never had a front or anything like that. Um, I, so you were just uh, mountain biking doing because yeah, cause pretty much. We we're, talk, we're, were talking the other night that you're doing downhill skating in the seventies. Yeah. You've been doing mountain biking, doing kayaking. You've done all these adventures your whole life and skiing. We pioneered telemark skiing. I mean, we were the I was the first ones in Utah. You know what is what is that? Telemark skiing is is uh, free heel pin skiing. We used to call it pin. I don't know what they call it these days. It's like your heel isn't locked down. You can tour. We were touring. Yeah. We were backcountry skiing is what it is. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So we skied. Me? We were the first ones up there, and, and there was no competition. And, um, you know, we just skied the backcountry all the time. Skin up, hike up, and take your skins off, and then ski these big bowls and everything. And uh, it was awesome. That was awesome. So, but... But that just relates to it was it was very early in that scene, and it was great for me because I lived I had this shack that I lived in, and it, it was an old miner shack, and it looked like an old miner shack on the outside, and but I had over the summer I paid some friends of mine, you know, and, and they fixed up the in, the inside was buffed out, just like super nice, you know. Um, but the outside looked like an old shack, so that was perfect for me because I didn't attract attention or anything, you know. And uh, and and plus, so I would spend the summers in Humboldt growing, and I'd go back in the winter and just ski all winter. And and one aspect of it is back then, I don't think this like Park City. They didn't really want to be known as a drug town or anything so they didn't really hassle people you know about pot especially um and so i never they never nobody ever hassled me pretty much everybody a a lot of people knew exactly what i was doing and everything do do you feel now looking back on it that you're like oh i got away with it yeah oh yeah for sure yeah there was definitely exposure there you know especially driving loads across nevada i mean there was a there used to be a big sign outside of Las Vegas that's it was something like, you know, one joint, ten years dealing, ten to life or something like that. You know, oh, some, some radical shit. And everything. Yeah. So they, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a gimme, and it wasn't uh, something to be treated lightly. What, what did but... you think about weed back then? Because you guys are just a bunch of hippies. We used looking at it. Like, oh man, this shit doesn't harm anyone. Well, exactly. That was my that was my big thing. I mean, you know, like I say, I grew up. I I was a draft evader, draft dodger in the in the, uh, in, the vi- in the Vietnam, Vietnam era, and and I had read all these uh, books about like Native America, the Indians, you know, and the, their lifestyle and how they lived in harmony with the earth and everything. And so that was a big part of our philosophy back then, and. I just saw, well, luckily, when I was growing up, I got, a friend of mine turned me on um, when I was like 14 or 15, 14 years old to weed before I ever drank alcohol, okay? So I got high, and I'm like, well, this is this is awesome. This is fun. You know, I feel good. Everything's fine. I'm not getting into trouble or anything. And then, uh, and then several months later, some, you know, I get drunk. 
and, I, and you know, and I, I puke, and I'm getting it, I get in trouble, and I feel like shit the next day, and so I'm yeah. like, well, this is nowhere compared to weed. Yeah, you know, people actually kind of think I'm, I'm crazy when I say this. But people that don't, don't ever indulge in a weed, and I think it's, I think it's just how people's minds work, and everyone works differently. But it's like for me, okay, alcohol for me is definitely an ego heidner and i think it is for everyone it's just such an ego heidner and i hate the i don't actually like the feeling of being drunk anymore and i and i hate the hangover yeah but weed for me is such um an ego suppressant yeah well yeah i always find and in my life i and 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 it literally happened the other night with 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 you guys with the the vape pen (laughs) And we're out in the middle of the ocean, brother. And we've been drinking the most I think I've ever drunk. We ha- we're on this boat. We're sailing through yeah, the ocean. We've got yeah. all these alcohol. And we're just like every afternoon and and blah, and blah, blah. But next thing I, I, I smoke the vape pen with you guys. And next thing I'm just like sitting here completely filled with appreciation yeah. with the people that I'm with and the surrounding exactly. and the ego. Let's go. And yeah. I remembered <laughs> that like when I wasn't and I, I still, I don't actually over smoke that much. Um, but I do like if I go and see a band or whatever. But I find like every few weeks, if I haven't had a joint, I will force myself to have a joint and, and reflect on the last few weeks. Few weeks, because yeah. it, it it's funny no. because it grounds me. I used to do it with my uh, last relationship, this girl that I was with for for years, and every so often I'll, I'll just smoke a joint and just sit back and reflect on our relationship and see stuff from her side because it, it takes the ego out and like I used to always like it would reground me re-bring appreciation yeah. back to the well exactly it just gets rid of the bullshit exactly and you, you just, can't oh, the way I look at it is like you can't really lie to yourself if you're high on weed you yeah. know you, it, it, everything's real yeah and you can't you know like you say it takes the ego away alcohol is a totally different yeah drug um, and it's fun to yeah. a certain, I you know I've lately what I've done and I've I've drank more in the last couple of years than I ever have, which isn't a whole you know much really. Um, and what I've found is like if I know what I do is I measure how I make a margarita, okay, yeah. and I know exactly how many ounces of alcohol to put in it, and I'll get a nice buzz, I'll have fun with my friends and laugh, but I won't have a hangover in the next morning i won't get sloppy drunk i can you know blah 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 and so it, it's it's fun to do but it's a whole different thing and and that relates back to um when i was growing pot a lot of it was i just felt it was a righteous cause i felt that uh it's bullshit that they hassle people for smoking this drug this you know this plant this herb that was natural. You don't have to synthesize anything. You don't have to ferment anything and stuff. It's just a natural plant. It's it's it, it's good for your head. You know, it's a very yeah. cerebral drug or, or, or herb. And and so I just felt that I had a righteous cause, and that's why I was never I never was really um, all that secretive about it. I was actually really proud and I am really proud. Yeah. I'm on the right side of history now, you know, I mean, yeah. literally, um, now that, cause you know, they used to say, Oh, if it's legalized all, you know, they've used every excuse from, from black guys raping white women to, you know, to, Oh, it makes you lazy and nobody will ever do anything. Well, that all just turns out to be bullshit. Yeah. You know, and and, and so, I'm, I'm so much more productive. I mean, I get <laughs> like I, 
Yeah, I like to have a day. I had, my... You know, I would be careful. It was like if I was doing woodwork, I really wouldn't get that high. But mainly, I, I, I would like in the middle of my bike ride or something. I'm out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. You know, it, it was awesome to get loaded and, and just cruise around and look at nature on the bike. Same thing with skiing or snowboarding. Um, like, you know, I would halfway through, I'd get loaded and just really, it was really funny yeah. with snowboarding. It was like, I, I, I kind of figured it out. I would time it. So about the last hour that I was wanted to be up there, I'd, I'd smoke a joint on the chairlift. And for the first half hour, I was like one with the board. I could make yeah. no mistakes. I was just, you know, just flowing and stuff. And then for the next 15 minutes, I was like, eh, about normal, you know, and then and then I'd start falling apart after that. <laughs> so it's time to go to the parking lot. <laughs> uh, Me and one of my best mates, we decided to, um, we had all these pallets, and we decided to make uh, growing boxes, like veggie oh, yeah. growing boxes, out of them, and just and just sell them on the local classifieds, and and because we did, we were just hanging out. It was just the summer, and we were just mm-hmm. hanging out, surfing, having fun. We just wanted a project. And so we're like, oh, yeah, we'll come around. We'll fucking, you know, let's get high and make these boxes, boxes every day. And so we, we do this, man. It was so much fun doing it. But what was so funny is the first day we did it, I had one pencil, right? And all we did was keep fucking losing this pencil. Couldn't find it anyway. So the next day we're like, all right, let's have a pencil each to mark everything, blah, blah. The next thing, like, I can't find my pencil. pencil. Now I've got his pencil. He's like, where's my pencil? I'm like, oh, it's here. And then we're losing two pen- we ended What we ended up having to do is buy, like, freaking eight pencils. Yeah, and have them everywhere. Put them around everywhere. Because all we'll find that we're doing half the day was just walk around <laughs> looking, looking, looking for pencils. pencils. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you got to be kind of careful. I mean, people that smoke all the time, it's just normal to them, you know. Yeah. Um, but I never really like that because you kind of lose yeah. some of the effect. I don't like know? to do it too too much. Yeah, e- too much. Exactly. Stuff, yeah. yeah. One thing when I was when I was I remember when I did my first around the world trip and it was a, a year and a half um, backpacking trip when I was oh. twenty, and I went all around the world, did a around the world ticket, and the one that I, one thing that I found because I didn't smoke pot then I, like if someone would hand me a joint or yeah. at a party or whatever i'd, I'd have a, Take half a, hit, a joint but, but that yeah. was it and the one thing that i found that drinking culture around the world is not that strong oh you really? know what i mean so many cultures didn't drink that much much huh? but everywhere i went in the world smoked weed really and everywhere yeah. i went in the world it was like a ceremony to share a to joint share with it, someone. Yeah, exactly. i remember backpacking yeah. around south america man we're hitchhiking we're hitchhiking around south america and everyone that picked us up would roll a joint and pass it through you know you know what i mean yeah that was tradition i mean it's like, yeah. yeah and i was like wow like it's just it, and it and it is so ceremonial i, yeah. I suppose it's like and he's yeah i'm, I'm it's it was actually weird because that I've just been traveling the last year, especially, and and the minds of the Western world definitely have changed, and a lot of the Eastern and, and you know legalization in Canada and le- yeah. legalization in a lot of the parts of um yeah, the states uh, yeah. of the states. And then that was weird about going to Tonga, and we got told um, in Tonga that there's heaps of weed there. Yeah, and well, like, really, oh, yeah, yeah, we got told that there's heaps of weed in Tonga, and then we we got to Tonga, and we're feeling it out. And asked a few. Well, we didn't even ask a few people. Like we, we were talking to just locals in general, and the conversation came up that you know things are changing because the devils come in, and because the devils grow, and they believe that the weed is the devil. No, you know sure. what I mean. And that there's, you know, they yeah. said, oh, you know, and because they're very Christian. Very, yeah, I was going to say a lot of church 
church yeah. going stuff. And yeah. it was um and it was weird to see the upper other side of the coin because for me it's just like man, it's just no problem. No one's yeah. harming anyone. Like I oh, believe no. that if the whole world smoked a joint at the same time, everyone would just be peace. Everyone yeah. would be hugged. And, yeah, and yeah. it was weird to see this uh, that they were still. And I completely respect that. I completely respected it. But it was just um, it was just taken back to like wow, like. They still they believe it's the devil. Yeah, and, and like, that's Whoa. propaganda and yeah. ignorance. You know, uh, could, I would attribute that to just propaganda and ignorance. And yeah. and it, it's and that kind of I re, I relate to that in that um, my father was uh, born in 1918, so he went through the heavy reefer madness era. You know, went to World War II and everything. And then uh, when I'm growing up in Humboldt, this is like in the early 80s, uh, he would, finally I talked to him, he he came up, drove up from Southern California, and we uh, went up, I had a boat up in Montana that I was fly fishing, you know, and I I wanted to take him up there and go fly fishing with him and stuff, because I grew up fishing with him. And so anyway, we, he comes and he picks up me and he picks up and I, I'm bringing one of my mates, one of my workers, you know, and we get into his station wagon. We, we come down off the hill and hit the freeway. Well, I'm on vacation. And so I'm going to get high, you know, yeah. um, with, with my friend and, uh, my dad's, I'm sitting shotgun and my dad's driving. And so I just spark up this joint and take a hit and pass it to my friend. You know, we both take a couple hits and then, and then put it out and my dad he's looking at me and and he's kept looking looking over and looking at me and after about five minutes you know and then we're just sitting there talking just normally yeah. and everything and he, all of a sudden he just goes well 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 that's it that's it and i'm and i'm like well yeah i go what did you expect and he he, he had never obviously had never really seen anybody get high or anything he had never been exposed to it but he had learned the government line oh this is the devil's weed reefer madness all this shit and he so he and he knew that alcohol was legal and he knew how fucked up you got on that so if if pot was illegal then it must really you know i swear to god he expected us to kind of sit there like you know like go flopping around like a fish out of water or something and when we were normal he was just it just kind of blew his mind you know he's like and he in any he, he actually he realized well the government has just been lying to me for the last 40 years or 50 years and they're full of shit you know because this is not here's my own son and they're not going out and raping women or holding up drug stores or anything you yeah. know and 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 they're not getting into trouble like you would on alcohol and stuff and yeah. so yeah so it really opened his eyes and i think I, that that's you know yeah it, I, it, I find it so weird um and I think anything for anyone in balance, it's all in balance in life. And I know, oh, yeah. especially with the, the when they do it, the synthetic or the they grow up with chemicals, I, I've seen that affect people in negative ways. But yeah. I've never seen just light bush or just oh. some homegrown stuff ever affect anyone in a bad no, way. In a bad way. And no. for me, I'm actually so thankful in my life that I've found it for my own, my own growth as a person, as in my own awareness, because yeah. it's something that has helped me have so much awareness. And I don't, that might be so weird for other people. Like, I know I've, I've got friends of mine that are really conservative. Yeah. And they're really, um, we call it liberal. Or they're really right, liberal to use labor. It's really, they're really right wing. Really yeah, conservative real people. Yeah, real right wing, yeah. And they're heavy drinkers. Heavy yeah. drinkers. Exactly. 
that, Almost and, all conservatives are heavy drinkers. Oh, man. They're, well, they're, yeah, they're really heavy drinkers, and they just... Very uptight, narrow-minded. Yeah, and they turn their really nose up on it, and, and I find sometimes... And I when I'm hanging out with them, I love them. They're really great friends of mine, and I've grown up with them and everything, and, and but I'll lie to join. I'm sitting there having a good time, and they're all just, just stiff like... and judging everything and judging <laughs> everyone. I'm like, man, come on. Yeah. Like, Relax a little bit, man. Chill Yeah. But yeah. I, I've, I've found it's just, and, and it's not something that I, I definitely don't overindulge in. Sometimes I do, you know. Like I, I reckon I probably when I'm at home, probably once a week I'll smoke yeah, a joint, yeah. you know, and and sometimes more. Sometimes I'm out on my property and I like to do it every day for a week, you know. But I think I think on average probably once a week, and and it's something that I, I'm so happy that I can do. Yeah, exactly. I think it's. I think it. If you know, one of the earlier. One of the guy, the guy that wrote uh, California's law back in '96 that legalized the medical aspect of it, his philosophy was: he goes, all use is medicinal. Yeah. You know, all use is medicinal. It doesn't. You don't have to have cancer to to appreciate this herb. Yeah. And and I totally agree with that. You know, I think if it used properly, um, it w- without excess and stuff, I think it's a very beneficial. Yeah. You know. For you, people, if if it all depends on you, and if you if you need it or can can use it beneficially, all the better. And know? if you can do it, so, maybe in balance in your life, you yeah. know, like I well, yeah. like you say, my you know, um, I was raised a kind of semi Mormon, and one of their big uh, tenements is all things in moderation. Yeah. And I really agree with that. All things in moderation, including moderation, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Would, would, would you mind telling me this story? I, I, I know I've heard it, but I just it was so it was so amazing. Would you mind telling me the story of you dodging the draft? Well, to Vietnam. Yeah, I think I I, I don't know if I've got enough time. But what's the yeah. time? Those guys want to leave That's, pretty soon. What's the time? Oh, my... um, it is eleven. Eleven. Yeah, okay, so I'll try to do it real quick. Okay. So. What happened was, this is back in 1969, um, I got kicked out of BYU. BYU is a Mormon university, and um, I was asking too many questions. We were, we were uh, asking questions about Vietnam and the war and everything, and they didn't like that. So anyway, they kicked me out. And this is a strong hippie movement era. Oh, yeah. Well. Yeah, full yeah. on, full on. You know, all the, well, yeah, campus violence and all the yeah. uh, protests and students taking over buildings, you know, because here again, the, the war in Vietnam was a total bullshit, yeah. you know, deal. Um, and anyway, so uh, I get kicked out of BYU. Well, I moved to Humboldt County. California back before it was known for pot and everything. That's where all the hippies that were in San Francisco, it, they went from being hippies to like back to the land movement. They all wanted yeah. to go back to nature and stuff. And so they migrated north because that's where the cheap land was. Land was really cheap, like 100, 125 bucks an acre. You know, you could get Holy 100 crap. bucks an acre. You get 40 acres for four grand. Um, and so, uh, or something like that. And so, um, Anyway, so I go to Humboldt County, and everybody's poor. We're all on food stamps and everything. And uh, I was enrolled in Humboldt State the next spring, the next, uh, when was it? I guess the fall, 
but I'm there in the summer, and so I took um, I took a couple classes at the at the uh, junior college there. I took agriculture and and woodworking, and uh, anyway, I had missed a quarter of school, and that that uh, negated my college deferment from the draft. So all of a sudden in the summer, I start I get this draft, you know, a pre-induction physical notice, which meant that you're supposed to get on a bus and go down to Oakland to the induction center. You take a physical to see if you're in good enough shape for the Army. And so I ignored it. Um, I They sent me three of them. I ignored all. I never responded to Was it. Was it a general, a common thing, especially in your area, oh, yeah. that people yeah. are ignoring? Oh, the... yeah. Well, no. No, most people went. Yeah. You know, um, my roommate even went. Um, but I didn't go. I didn't respond to him or anything. So after Wait. after the third one of those, then I got another letter, and it was just an induction notice. It was like, okay, since you're not going to come and take a physical, we'll, we'll just assume that you're physically fit for the Army. Show up next Tuesday with a toothbrush and three pair of underwear, and you're in the Army. And, and I ignored that. I ignored three of those. And after the third one, I knew that that was, you know, then you're hot. Then you're, then somebody's going to come looking for you. And so I moved down to Southern Humboldt, which is very rural, just kind of out in the woods. And I lived up this, up this hill. There was a little town called Myers Flat. So, so you moved because you were hot. Well, because like, I was oh, hot. It's time yeah, to it was hot. It was time to get out of there. They knew yeah. where I lived. They had my address, everything, you know, up yeah. in Eureka. And, and so it was time to leave. So I moved down to Southern Humboldt. I had friends that had houses down there and stuff. And I, and I was living at this place. It was about three miles up the hill in the middle of nowhere. In this little town called Myers Flat, it was a little. It had like a gas station, a motel, a general store. You know, one of those little one block long towns and stuff. And everything was great for most of the winter and everything. And then, sometime in the spring, um, you know, I go. My friends pick me up, and we go down into town to get to go to the grocery store. We we, there's th- four of us, and we go into this little bitty grocery store, and then, and then I'm the first one that's coming back out, and I and I come out the front door, and everybody's behind me, and there's this guy standing there, with in a kind of a blazer, no tie or anything, but he was a little out of place in a blazer, and he goes, hey, he goes, hey, Todd, he goes, uh, how's your teepee? And I look at him, I go, well, I don't have a teepee. He goes, you are Todd Wagner, and I'm like, duh, <laughs> and, he, and he pulls out that he goes. Pulls out this badge. He goes, FBI. We need to talk. And and so I'm just uh, like the movies. I'm just like the movies. And I'm like, oh. And I turn around, and my everybody has disappeared. That was the funniest part. Is like everybody, my friends, even the guy that owned the store. Everybody just evaporated. I mean, just gone. There's no. All of a sudden, the town is empty. And and I'm sitting there with this guy. So we sit down on the curb. And he's got a you know a, a briefcase or a little folder, and he and he starts filling out all these forms and everything, and and he goes, oh well, you know you uh, you never responded to these things. And I go, I didn't think I could get drafted because I had cut off the end of my finger, okay. And I go, oh, I can't shoot a gun. And he's like, well, you could probably wash dishes or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so anyway, we sit there, and after about forty five minutes, he he folds his papers up and everything, asks me all these questions and. And then he just kind of he, he sighs, takes a big sigh, and he goes, "Oh man!" He goes, "This is a drag." He goes, "I don't like coming up here hassling people that are minding their own business." 
And he goes, you know, he goes, I used to be on the bank robber squad in San Francisco. He goes, now that was some fun. <laughs> we sat there for another 45 minutes, and he told me all these bank robber stories <laughs> about chasing bank robbers and stuff. <laughs> and, and I mean, and when he left, you know, we shook hands and laughed and everything, and it was pretty good. But then two weeks later, I get another registered letter, and I'm drafted again. So then I was... Re- you know, then you're hot. Then you're like seriously hot. Then you're going to prison if they catch you. You're going to prison, and uh, and so I took off for Utah, uh, figuring that you know because I had friends there in Park City and stuff, and um, and so I took off for Utah and I stayed pretty low key. My I lived with a, my girlfriend and her brother, and her brother looked a lot like me, same build, dark hair, long dark hair, big full beard, and everything. And uh, the trouble was that my, you know, she was kind of young, and uh, and I had hair halfway down my back and everything. This is really early, you know. This is like 1970, and uh, and her father fucking hated me. I mean, hated me with a purple passion because you know Salt Lake's really conservative and everything. And you're and, this hippie you know, dude, this going hippie out. guy that steals his little 17 or 18 year old girl away from him from home and everything. Anyway, somehow he found out that I was hot and he called, he ratted me out to the FBI. He called him up and goes, Hey, this Todd Wagner guy goes, I know where he is. And so what happened was that I lived with her and her brother, you know, outside of town a little bit. Well, the FBI shows up at our house and they think that the brother is me. So they fully, you know, cuff which, him. Wait, which is the son. Which is his son. Which is his yeah, son. his son. You know, and my girlfriend's brother. And so they, like, they cuff him and rough him up and stuff him in the car. And the whole time he's protesting. Well, finally, you know, he gets him to check his ID. And it's not it's not me. And so they have to let him go. And he drove into town and found me at some friends. We were getting loaded, you know, in the afternoon at some friend's house. And he found me and go, you know, he's all, he shows, he comes through the door and he's all white and he's shaking and everything. Uh, The FBI, blah, blah, blah. And so literally 45 minutes later, I'm in the backseat of a car with a blanket over me. And they take me out, they drive me down to Salt Lake and out to, you know, I Interstate 80 West out to the airport. And from there, it's just across the Salt Flats in Nevada. And they drop me off and I hitchhike back to Northern California. And, uh, and, then, and then I stayed way out in the woods and never went anywhere. For a... So h- how long did it take for you? Did you About have to wait years. to the war? Yeah, like... yeah. Finally, the U.S. You know, got out of the war in 73. And then in, then in 74, there was a, like an amnesty um, you know, for draft people and stuff. I never, you're supposed to apply for it and everything. I never did anything. But the, the heat was off by then. So it was like three years total that I was... Just on the oh, lamb from the so FBI. You, you proper had to go hiding in your own country. You oh proper... yeah, full on. It was either that or go to Can. I could have gone to Canada, but I didn't know anybody in Canada. You know. So you were living as a fugitive, pretty much. Full on. Full on yeah. fugitive. Oh, if they would, if the FBI would have caught me after that first time, it's you know you go to jail and then you go to trial and then you go to prison. I mean that's just the way it is. That's how they enforce. That's how. That's why they get people to go to the you know go in the army because if you don't, you go to prison. And so 
you know, I just lucked out and never did get caught, you know, so. Good on you. the way it is, yeah. Good on you, Todd. <laughs> uh, story time. I'm with uh, Anonymous Todd. <laughs> Man, I, um, yeah, it's been an hour. You've got to get back to your boat yeah. with it. There's the two boats, or now, now three boats, three in boats. South Minerva Reef in the middle of the Pacific, South Pacific. Yeah. And we're all about to set sail literally in the next hour to two hours. We're all pulling anchor. Down and to New Zealand. Down to New Zealand. So, so um, safe passage. Well, thank you so very guys. much. It's been most enjoyable, and let's do it again sometime. Yeah, I've got, we've got your details, and we want to... Um, we definitely want to try hit the ground. I enjoy all your stories too, so it's great. To yeah, it's been fun. Find somebody like-minded. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun story time. I'm, I'm, last night I literally went to bed when you guys left with my fingers crossed. Going, God, I want to do a Grand Canyon trip with <laughs> oh, these guys. God. We got to make that happen. We one way or the other, that would be. It's, yeah. yeah, I'm applying every year for. Yeah. So, well, how does it work? The, the Grand Canyon they they put out a lottery every year, and every so year. many people yep. get to get and to. And it's hard. It. It's 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 just a lottery. I mean, I went two years ago, a year and a half ago with this couple from Portland, it was the first time they had ever applied and they got a permit. Okay, mm -hmm. I've applied every year for the last 15 years and I've only gotten one and that was on a six, I only had six days to get to the river, you know, because it was like a cancellation and shit. And then you um, But that was, a, that was great because I did, a, I did a solo trip, you know, I did 286 miles, 23 days solo through the Grand Canyon. That was That's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And the, and they, those photos that you have showed us of the actual of rafting the Grand Canyon, oh, 21 days rafting it, is um, suddenly on my bucket list, I think. Good. It should be. Oh, we should, we should be telling people because then more people are going to be yeah. applying for the lottery. It's a terrible trip. trip yeah. You might like it. <laughs> Stay home. <laughs> No place like home. Yeah. <laughs> right on, man. So thank you. Uh, thanks so <laughs> much. Thanks so much. Man. Good luck with everything. Yeah, you too. Cool. So if you like this episode, please feel free to share it and leave a rating. And if you have or know of anyone with a wild story, please get in contact with me through my Instagram, Aaron underscore Shanks, or the website, diariesofthewildones.com, because I'd love to sit down over a beer or a coffee and hear it. I do it like a double.